Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. I you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Last week we did the first word, God. Get a little bit more done today. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification of sin, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much, as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So we see here the author affirming the Old Testament was uh, the prophets were sent by God. That bodes well, because the author is talking to the Jews, a Jewish audience. However, in this opening sentence, he begins making his point, Jesus is superior to those previous prophets. Long ago, we spoke to the prophets. In these last days, he's now speaking through... His son. Now, we do not officially hear the name of the Son of God until chapter 2, but let's clear that up right now so we all know who the author thinks the Son of God is. Chapter 2, verse number 9 says, But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely who? Jesus. Jesus is the Son. How does the author of Hebrews know Jesus is the Son of God? How do you know Jesus is the Son of God? We have several witnesses to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. We have angels, God himself. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God and the disciples. And then even his enemies acknowledged his claim. So starting with uh, the angels who uh, announced at, to Mary at his birth, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then at Jesus' baptism, uh, he goes down into the river. John baptizes him. And then a voice comes out of heaven. What does it say? He says, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then likewise, God once again testified, Jesus being the Son of God, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus went up there with Peter, James, and John, and then appearing with Jesus on the mountain was Moses and Elijah, and then a voice from heaven comes out and says, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The disciples affirmed that Jesus was the Son of God. In John chapter 1, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. John testified in 1 John chapter 4, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then Peter said in Matthew, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus himself likewise affirmed, I am the Son. John chapter 10, the Jews surrounded and began saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Jesus answered them, I told you and you did not believe the works that I do in my father's name. They testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. My father and I are one. Claims to be God. Son of God. His enemies understood that claim. In, we saw in Luke chapter 22. They said, so you are the Son of God. And he said, you are, say correctly that I am. And they said, what further need do we have of a testimony? We've heard it from his own mouth. So they also affirmed his claim to be the Son of God. That's who the author's calling the Son, Jesus. So, question. Would the Son of God be a better source of information about the plans and purposes of God than prophets? If you want to know what I am like as a father, what I'm like to live with on a day-to-day -day basis, would it be better to talk to people who maybe listen to my sermons online? Would it be better to talk to maybe my friends on Facebook? Or maybe it would be better to talk to my sons who actually live in my house and see me every day with no shirt on, right? <laughs> Who's better to understand who I am? The sons, right? The author's not saying that the prophets were not of God and they didn't do their job. He's already established that God did speak through the prophets, but in this age, in these last days, he's now speaking through the son. There are plenty of people who were prophets in the past. We mentioned that last week. And there have been plenty of people who have claimed to be prophets who were, in fact, false prophets in the past and even in the present. We, we've learned about them in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 23. The, this is what the Lord of armies said. Do not listen to the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They tell a vision of their own imaginations, not from the mouth of the Lord. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my word to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way, from the evil of their deeds. There are people today, likewise, who claim to be prophets. And you know what? That's fine. The scriptures do tell us that in the last days there will be prophets. So obviously God has a use for prophets. However, I have observed that the title can be used by some people to assert some authority or declare some level of superiority of the person holding the title. But let me establish this fact in your mind, which will be useful to you in all of those types of circumstances, especially in the last days where in the coming future powerful world leader, one of them is going to be a false prophet, according to the word of God. Consider this. Maybe write this down. Nobody has a revelation from God that is superior to what the son says. Nobody has a revelation from God that is superior to what the Son of God says. If anyone's claiming to be a prophet and contradicts Jesus, they're no prophet from God the Father. Don't let the titles that people hang on themselves, prophet, bishop, archbishop, apostle, pope, don't let that hypnotize or impress you. We already have 
all the information and all the revelation that we need. Jesus is the son of God and he is the greatest authority. You cannot bring out any other expert or evidence or witness that can override his superiority. Because of this, we don't get enamored with names or titles. I saw during the coronavirus, uh, uh, the government had pulled together people who were called leading voices in Christianity. Evangelical leaders who could speak to us about what they thought God would have the churches do during COVID. You know, love is shutting down and love is getting a vaccine or whatever the talking point was that they were hired to promote. And maybe you didn't notice, but I never got around to playing those interviews for you here at church. Uh, the Elders of Faith Bible Church, we did not take any time to explore what the leading evangelical leaders were saying. We didn't tune into the various denomination presidents or the bishops, what they were espousing. We didn't, we didn't wait to hear the Pope's thoughts on the matter because none of those people are our leaders. Sure, you can claim to be a leading voice in Christianity, but you're really not leading us. Someone may have dubbed you an evangelical leader, and you may be speaking at some bigger churches or some leadership conferences, but that has no real biblical authority. If Franklin Graham called me up and said, Rob, here's what I think uh, Faith Bible Church ought to be doing, you know how much that would affect us? Eh. Now, if John Harris calls me and says, hey, Rob, here's what I think we should be doing, that has may, way more weight with me and with this congregation than anything that Franklin Graham has to say. I don't say that to be arrogant. I'm just stating the doctrinal facts that we've already been given the instructions from the Son of God himself. Christ is the head of the church, and his word has been spoken to us. So we don't need to hear from other self-proclaimed or, or society-proclaimed leaders on the topic of what God wants us to do and not do. If someone is saying things that agree with the Bible, uh, that's good, and it would be a good reminder, and I will respectfully listen, but I need to hear chapter and verse. If someone is uh, giving me information, but they don't have any chapter and verse reference, then eh, it's just your personal opinion. Maybe I want to listen, maybe I don't. But if you are going to say things that contradict what I'm reading chapter and verse, then I don't want to hear it. Because God speaks through his word, through his son, not self-proclaimed, society-proclaimed Christian leaders. I don't know any big-name evangelical leaders. And anyone who claims to be one, guess what? They don't know me either, nor do they care what I have to say. And that's okay. I don't feel out of the loop or disconnected from the latest spiritual trends or movements. Not all that concerned, because we already heard from God through the son, and I know everything he wants me to know. The Son is the superior reference. And now, the author is going to tell us why the Son. Look at all the phrases describing and explaining all that God the Father has performed in the Son. The last days he's spoken to us in his Son, whom, here we go, he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, upholds all things by the word of his power, when he made purifications of sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Woo! It's a lot of theology in there. Let's see what we can learn about these different phrases about the Son. Whom he, whom God, appointed heir of all things. First phrase. This makes complete sense to the audience. 
being an heir, receiving an inheritance, that's a big deal in the Jewish culture, right? We see their scriptures as uh, got all kinds of genealogies. That's in part of the inspired word of God. Being an heir meant that you were connected to the covenants of God that he had made with the nation. The promised land being one, that was an inheritance that God had given you for thousands of years. The people were this inheritance of the land. If you were a Levite, then your inheritance was serving at the temple. If you were a Levite from the line of Aaron, that meant you were supposed to be a spiritual leader in the nation. And uh, everybody who was of Jewish descent inherit the blessings of God. But on the practical everyday level, a, especially in Jesus' times, in the ancient times, an orphan would typically be poor, the lowest in society. But firstborn sons with the family inheritance, they were seen as very blessed. Now, our culture has lost the stigma of being considered a bastard. But the connotation was that you were unwanted. The person who ought to be the most proud of you has rejected you. To the Jews, that would be seen as a curse. And really, it still is one of the ingredients that leads to poverty and many other emotional, mental, social issues that people nowadays have. Abandonment issues, insecurity issues, relational dysfunction, emotional anorexia. Much of it stems from the unfortunate situation that many people experience through no fault of their own. That their father was not there for them. He neglected them, he abandoned them, and they have no understanding of who they really are and who they're supposed to be. So many people today are searching for an identity and they're confused about everything. Young boys don't know what a man is supposed to be. They don't know because they don't have a, a dad there to show them. They don't know what their inheritance is because nobody's there to give it to them. Matter of fact, the latest shooting that happened in Texas week, what did we find out about that suspect? Surprise, surprise, he didn't have a dad. No father. My father jokingly says to me, if there's any money left over when I'm gone, that was a mistake. <laughs> no big financial windfall coming my way. But one's inheritance is so much more than money. Back when we were living in seminary, five of us in a little apartments up in Atlanta, Maryland, we just didn't have much to work with. God was providing for us. We had everything we needed, but it was very tight. Since I was in school, I had no job, I was unsure of the future. Eliana was doing all the heavy lifting. She had the work, and she was trying to provide for us all. Uh, I didn't, uh, because of that, I, it was tough, but we still, nevertheless, had a little family. We had small children, and, and children, uh, they naturally asked their dad for things, right? Well, you need something, you want something. Yeah, hey, dad, can I have this? And I didn't like to say no, uh, or have the kids feel like they were going to always be missing out because we just didn't have any extra to give them. Um, since necessity is the mother of invention, I was looking around for something the kids could do to earn some money so they wouldn't always have to hear, no, we can't afford it all the time. That's what I had to do when I was a kid. I had to find jobs. So I was wondering, what could in a 10, 8, and 6-year-old kids do to earn money? Seth, you're 6? All right, this story is, this is what, what 6-year-old Tony did to earn money. The college was having some extensive renovations going on at the campus. 
And they had work crews in every day. Now, since I've worked on work crews in the past, I know that you like, you know, you get there early and you work hard for a few hours and then you want a break. You give the guys a break, right? Every once in a while, it's good. And then they like to have a snack and a drink of something to refuel their bodies. But there was nothing on the campus that provided snacks. There was vending machines. Nowhere's near where these workers were working on the building. And I saw, ooh, there's an opportunity. So I outfitted the boys with a cooler with wheels and we filled it up with power aids and we filled it up with snacks. And I, they would go out in the morning and they would drag their cooler up there and they would check with all the crews, hey, you wanna buy something? And, uh, and then they would go around to the, the staff on the campus and sell. After all, who wouldn't buy from that face right there? Six-year-old Tony, nobody could say no to that. And he would upsell people too. Like they would buy a, a Powerade for a dollar and a snack and uh, they would give him five bucks and he'd say, well, you know, you could get this and this and this. And he'd keep the whole five. So he was, I, that kid, he was, he was smooth. He was getting the money out of them. So I showed them then how to manage their inventory. They'd make about 20 bucks a day doing this and, and say, okay, well, we got to buy this much inventory and then we'll split it up three ways between the rest of you. So it wasn't a lot of money every day, but it, it piled up by the end of the week. You know, they would accumulate a certain amount. Now, the key to the operation, despite Tony's cute face, was actually my oldest son, Robbie, who was strong enough to pull the cooler. And so he was the, he was the horse and, and he was the, the leader. But one day uh, I come in the house and he's laying on the couch and it's about that time when the, the workers were going to get a break and this is about the time they would go out. And I asked him, are you going to take the cooler? You know, there's folks that uh, depend on you being there with the snacks. They got money in their pocket that they want to buy the snacks from you and, and give it to you. And he said, ah, just, I, don't, I don't feel like it. I don't want to go, Dad. I said, son, my grandfather was a mess. He was an alcoholic, he wasted all of his money, and he left us nothing. But he was very strong, and he did have a great work ethic. And when he did have a job, he worked his butt off every day of his life. And that's the one thing he did give my dad. And your grampy is an incredibly strong guy. And he always says, McNutt's have strong backs and a good work ethic. He went into the ministry and he was poor and we grew up poor, but he did work hard every day. And I too, when I was your age, I realized I have a strong back. And since my dad didn't have any money to give me, I figured I could go get jobs on the farm and I could use my strong back and I could develop a work ethic and I could earn money for myself. And I said, Robbie, right now, I don't have much to give you. We don't have a lot. We're very tight. But the one thing you have as a McNutt is a strong back and a good work ethic. That's who we are, and that's what I can give you right now. And that little guy got up off the couch, and he grabbed that cooler, and he went up there, and he sold. And a matter of fact, there was a whole extra group of people staying on campus that day, and he sold twice as much that day that he had any other day, and the Lord really poured that blessing out upon him. And uh, the money was cool, but the greatest gift I gave my son that day was his inheritance. Knowing who he was as a McNutts, that you have a strong back and you have a good work ethic. And to this day, my oldest son still prides himself in both of those things. He always has a job and he likes showing off the guns too. He's always doing that. The Jews understand the concept of inheritance. 
God the Father has made the Son heir of what? All things. Jesus says, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And people think they're doing something impressive when they rise to the top of big corporations, when they're the heads of states or top brass in the military. Ooh, you get to go to Davos, Switzerland and collaborate with the rulers of the world to decide the fate of the planet. Ooh, you're planning to hand the new, the World Health Organization all the power to govern the entire United Nations and decide the pandemic response protocols for the whole world. Oh my, you have all this power over the nations of the world. To quote a great scholar, Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. People think they have big, powerful titles and positions, but according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, my Lord and Savior is heir to what? All things. So I work for, serve, and pray to the one who actually owns the whole world. And as far as I'm concerned, all these governments and powers and empires are all squatters. And one day Jesus is coming back to evict them all. And it's really going to suck for them to see their kingdoms crumble, but not for me because I am a co-heir. According to Romans chapter 8, the Spirit itself bears witness of the Spirit of our spirit, that we are the children of God, and if children, then we are heirs. We are co-heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. Meaning all that Jesus inherits, I too, as a child of God, he's going to share it with me. The powers that be just think they govern me, think they rule over us. Just you wait till Jesus claims his inheritance over all things, then we'll see who's really ruling who. Do you see why it's important to understand the specifics of what the Word of God says? That phrase right there? Because one could make the grave mistake, someone could make the grave mistake of thinking that they're getting ahead by or building something worthwhile by saddling up with the rulers of this world. Let me get in with the globalists and sell my beliefs and my biblical principles out to the winning side. Let's ooze down into the D.C. swamp and get cozy with all the elites. One could make the grave mistake of thinking that building a big stash of money and resources now is the key to long-term happiness. I'll be successful if I experience and enjoy all the what the world has to offer. One can get easily engrossed with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and think that's what life is all about. But that would be so very short-sighted when you realize that Jesus in the end inherits all things. You understand that the only thing that really matters is the eternal kingdom. Thus storing up treasures in heaven and sacrificing to serve him now means you inherit everything in the end. The superiority of the prophets because the son inherits all things. Jesus is superior to them for that reason. Also, it is through the son that the world was made. Through whom he, the Son, also made the world. And that's consistent with what John wrote in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
makes sense that the Son inherits all things. After all, he, he created all things. We know God created all things, and the Son was there. Interesting, when God was talking in Genesis, he says, let us, pronouns are a big deal nowadays, eh? Let us make man in our image. That's the Trinity speaking, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, the author is really clarifying who the Son is. He is the creator God. What? Is that what that means? Yeah, let's keep going. And Verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. The glory, the Shekinah, the light, the brightness. It's so interesting. In our study through Luke, we did not have any description of what Jesus, the man, physically looked like. But once you get the revelation, his appearance is constantly spoken of. Right out the gate in Revelation chapter 1, John writes, I, I, saw, I heard a voice behind me and I turned and I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Of course, he knows Jesus. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a term for Jesus, the Son of Man. Clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet fine brass as refined in a furnace. His voice the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. His face is shining like the sun at full strength. That's not easy to look at, is it? God is light. One of the divine attributes of who God is and how he's described, he is light. And so, too, Jesus radiates the divine glory. Jesus is the exact representation, the author says here. The Greek word is caricature. It means impression, a mark or figure burned on, stamped on. We go to the Lincoln Memorial and we look at that huge statue. Someone would say, hey, who's this? And we say, that's... President Lincoln, right? That's what he looked like. This is a representation, the statue. The phrase here isn't talking about a stone statue. It's talking about the nature of Jesus. It's the same as God's nature. The Greek word for nature is hypostasis, substantial quality, the makeup, the essence. Like when Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, you see me, You've seen the Father. He is the, that's a great phrase, isn't it? The exact representation of his nature. And verse 3, upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, and he is before all, and in him all things hold together. So not only did he create the world, he's also what is he doing? Sustaining the world. We live and breathe because Jesus sustains us. Like when we sing that praise song, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. All that borrows life, it's from our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the author and the sustainer of our lives. That's why you should give thanks to him every morning when you wake up and why we should thank him every evening when you close your, your eyes. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. 
sustain it. It is the height of ignorance and arrogance to not do that. Many of our folks here Faith Bible Church have chickens, which is cool because they lay eggs, and that's nice. And, but the downsides of chickens is when you get a cocky rooster who thinks that they're the one in charge of the chicken coop or the hen house. So Brandon and Jenny Martin, they have a little farm behind their place, and the kids are sent out to get eggs. Go get the eggs, kids. And they go out to get the eggs. And there's a cocky rooster there. And he's attacking the kids. And the kids, ah! They're running back to the house. And uh, Brandon's like, what's the problem? And the kids are like, the rooster's attacking us. And Brandon's like, ah, what are you talking about? And Brandon goes out to get the eggs. And the cocky rooster attacks Brandon. Ah! Then all of a sudden, Jenny and the, the kids hear, kaboom! <laughs> Ooh. So the rooster did not acknowledge who the real owner of the coop was and who was sustaining his life. He learned the hard way. And Jenny says, well, we got another rooster. And boy, oh boy, that rooster is super nice now. <laughs> you go out to get eggs and he holds the door open for you. <laughs> right this way, ma'am. Are, are these eggs suitable to you? Come on, girls, let's get some more eggs Wise rooster versus foolish, cocky rooster. I wonder what kind of roosters we have here today. Do you understand who sustains your life? A wise rooster does. That's who the sun is, the heir of all things, the creator of the world, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, upholding all things by the word of his power. And on top of all that... When he had made purification of sins, of all the things that Jesus does, that one's the most relevant for you. You understand that, right? Because you ain't getting the inheritance if you don't first have the purification of sins. Jesus sacrificed his perfect self on the cross to pay the price of our sins so that we could be made pure of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The sins were put on Jesus on the cross. And in exchange, what a great trade for us. We have the imputation of his righteousness upon us. The author of Hebrews is going to go into detail discussing the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made. And as the great high priest, he ascends into heaven and he presents it to God the Father. And then how that sacrifice was acceptable, the work was finished. And then he sat down at the right hand of God the Father. And that's where he is today, seated in the highest seat at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. In this position, we see that he is better. He is greater than all. When we speak of Jesus, the Son of God, that's who we're talking about. And that's just the first four verses. We got a lot to learn. But I don't want to just give you information about Jesus. I want to give you a chance to interact with him. Maybe you're here today and you're distracted by all the cares of this world, looking at our society and seeing the darkness. It seems like every week 
every week we got some other crisis in our nation, some other dark thing going on. We see the trials and the tribulation, the pains and suffering. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, his wonderful radiant face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. No truer word spoken. Maybe you today need to trust in Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, we would pray that each and every one who is here today would understand who you are as we grow to know how much greater you are as the Son of God and then what you've done for us to, to lay down your life, to purify us of our sins so that we could be co-heirs with you. How important that is for everyone to know and understand and not waste their lives worrying about the things of this world, worrying about things that are going to be just short-term and are going to be here for a moment like a vapor and gone. May we commit ourselves wholeheartedly. Someone here today would pray and say, Dear Lord Jesus, please purify me of my sins. I want to be your child. I believe in you. You are the Lord. You are sitting there, God the Father's right hand. Remember me. You will trust in him. He will change your life. He will give you a purpose and a plan. Lord, help us to know these things and trust in you each and every day. Praying all this in Jesus' name. Amen.